And the answer to that, of course, is if we belong to Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Oh, Lord, you've searched me. You know my way. Even when I fail you, I know you love me. You go before me. You shield my way. Your hand upholds me. I know you love me. Uh, Those sound like words of children who know that they're loved, don't they? Could be that you don't feel very loved coming into the service today because you don't feel worthy of love. And the kind of love that we just sang about is only possible because of what God did at the cross. At the cross, I bow my knee where your blood was shed for me. There's no greater love than this. That love was the love of the Father giving His Son and the love of the Savior dying in our place. You have overcome the grave. Your glory fills the highest place. What can separate me now? You tore the veil. You made a way when you said that it was done. Only because the Father loved us enough to give His Son can we know and experience the love of God. The love of God is not automatic in our lives. A lot of people today think that the love of God is on me. And as long as I don't mess it up, it's going to be there always. But the love of God only comes, well, the love of God is, is, is extensive. It's amazing. But it's expressed To us, to those who will trust Jesus by his gift of his son. Can you imagine sending your only son to die for the sins of the world? Can you imagine the love of the Savior who willingly went? Maybe you trusted Christ's death as payment for your sin some time ago. But life has hit you pretty hard and people really haven't turned out to be who you thought they were going to be. In fact, all the time we just get these startling revelations about people. And they just aren't who we thought they were. And one by one, you know, we're the only perfect ones left by the end. <laughs> by the end. Um, <clears throat> circumstances have conspired to derail The life that you were certain God had for you. God led me to do this. And now look, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And so you're disappointed with life. But the greatest disappointment you encounter every day stands before you as you look in the mirror. And you say, I just can't believe Who I am. So what is there to love about me? So why should I feel love? I don't deserve to feel love. I mean, I know that God loved me when he saved me. But I've not done as well as I should have. And and, and frankly, things have just gotten out of hand lately. So no, I don't feel love. But it's not God's fault. Would you bow your heads for prayer? I know that some of you don't feel like you deserve to be loved by God. And, and what you did this past week or this past month 
or what you thought or what you said is haunting you. But you didn't deserve to be saved, did you? And yet, Jesus died for you. Why would you think that Jesus died to save you, but now it's up to you? I mean, does he want us to walk in obedience? Of course he does. But we will never be where we think we ought to be until the day that we see Jesus. Or as the song said, he stands before us. And there lies the problem. Our obedience ends up being more about wanting to feel good about ourselves than it does about Jesus. The gospel cures us of all of that. That's our focus this morning as we're in Genesis. Lord, we need to hear from you. And we need to believe your word. Give us faith. Give us a spirit of trust. Help us to rest in the truth of your love. And because of it, change us. Lord, we don't want love that somehow enables us to just live any way we want to. That's not, that's not, that, that's a misunderstanding of your love. We want to be loved in the gospel as we truly are. We want to know that we are. And we want to return that love in great measure as you work in our hearts. So speak to us this morning. From your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're new to Grace, and I know there are several of you here for the very first time today, uh, you should know we're in a series going through the book of Genesis. And the title of the, uh, of the series is, is Gospel Origins. And you might be thinking, Gospel? I thought that's a New Testament kind of thing. No, no it's a whole Bible kind of thing. Uh, we gave a definition a few, few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, about what the gospel is. But it's helpful if you think of the gospel as, as a cycle. A cycle that is continually cycling throughout all of scripture, throughout all of history, both secular history and church history. The, the history with God's covenant people, all the way his, his covenant people before the church ever began in Acts 2. All part of the same family, that covenant family that God is and, and 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 the gospel cycles through that and it cycles in our individual lives over and over and over and this is the gospel creation fall redemption promise of restoration talked about this a few weeks ago and I really wanted the visuals three or four five six weeks ago now you know p- part of our problem is is we think of the gospel in linear terms like okay I'm walking along unsaved Boom, I get saved. Now God has redeemed me and I'm walking toward heaven and I'm getting more and more like Jesus all the time. Well, when things don't go great, it's like, well, what happened? Maybe, maybe, I, didn't, maybe I didn't get it right, so let me go back to the starting point and get saved again. Well, no, I can't get saved again, so let me get saved. And so, But look, here's this. And also, we tend to think of of once we're saved, that redemption hits it. We're living in that promise of restoration. And life is just going to... But, but most of our life is lived down here. In the fall and the, and the redemption area. God created the heavens and the earth. Man fell. 
He redeemed. And one day it's going to be set back to rights. But most of our life is spent in that lower part. And then he does a new work in our lives. He redeems us from our sin, but we mess that up. And then he redeems out of that circumstance. And and then he gives us that hope that one day it's going to be. And it's like he does a new work in our lives. And then we just blow it. And it just cycles over and over. And if we don't understand this process in our lives, we don't feel very loved. Because, see, we get out of gospel. We think God's done done the primary work. Now it's up to me and and I'm going to do it. And we don't do it. And so we blow it. When you accept that the gospel is cyclical in your life, while you may be disappointed that you are still fallen, you can rest in God's love for you that is articulated so clearly in the gospel, which is true for us today, and it was true in Genesis as well. The title of today's message is The God Who Sees and Who Loves You Anyway. He sees you, he knows your mess, and he loves you anyway. And again, this is not a, just a, a syrupy kind of grandfatherly, oh, it's okay, you know, let the child break the window, it's all right. It's not that, it's not that kind of, that's not the love. But he sees our mess and he loves us anyway. As you'll see in just a moment when we read our text, this is a heavenly perspective that God loves us in spite of all that's going on. I mean, this story today is the story of Jacob, Marion, Leah by accident. Marion, Leah by accident. And then Marion, her sister, Rachel. From a human standpoint, we could have titled this any number of titles. For instance, what goes around comes around. I mean, Jacob's going to get his, you know. He deceived his dad. Now he's going to be deceived in a big, big way. Or if you want a musical, musical kind of approach, we could title it, You Can't Always Get What You Want. Or Twisted Sisters. Um, <laughs> Or if you prefer a movie theme, life is miserable. Instead of the Academy Award, life is beautiful. That'll fit the bill. From a human perspective, there just seem to be so few redeeming qualities about life in Haran. From a heavenly perspective, God is accomplishing his will. He's building maturity into the life of his servant Jacob. And he's blessing everybody connected with Jacob. Abraham had one son of the covenant. Isaac had one son of the covenant. Jacob had 12. How he got those 12, I, I, Our text covers two chapters. And, and you know what? I considered reading just very little of this and, and, and talking mostly. But I thought, no, let's just read it. Let's read. We're going to read a, a chunk of this. And I'll comment along the way. So... You can be seated. And then we're going to look in Romans a little bit as well at some of the verses that you've already heard this morning and even more. Uh, In our text, we're going to pick up the story after Jacob has met his kinfolk in Haran and he spent a month with them. Uh, Honestly, if this is your first week here, this sermon is so connected with the last three, really, whenever we, we, we meet Jacob to begin with. 
Uh, and if you would like to make more sense of this, then go to the website. The, our sermons are there. And I think it would just help them all fit together. Um, in this story that we have been reading about for several weeks now, God is stunningly good to his children. His children are often stunningly bad. Yet God saves, protects, and blesses them in spite of themselves just as he does us. So this morning we're going to read Genesis 29, 15, all the way through 30, 24. And I want us to think about all that we have said to this point when we see how life uh, plays out here. Are, are the consequences to the bad choices that we make? Absolutely. Does that mean God doesn't love us anymore? Absolutely not. He loves us deeply. Does he treat us as we deserve? Absolutely not. That's the gospel. So let's read. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Jacob feels like he had thrown everything away, all that might have come to him with his inheritance back from his father Isaac because he deceived him. And even though he got the blessing, the blessing's not doing him much good now. He came in a Haran with nothing. And Laban, who is the shifty character, just as shifty, more so. that He's, he's more Jacob than Jacob, you know. And, and <laughs> he's working the angle. He says, tell me, you know, come on. What, what, just name your wages. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. As so often is the case in Scripture, you can just say, uh-oh. You know, I mean, we're being set up here. Verse 17, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now we can really say, "Uh uh-oh. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now this boy was in love. The the, the typical dowry would be somewhere two to three, four years wages. Jacob said, seven years, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter. Laban, who, who knows exactly all of what he said, but notice how noncommittal he is about the daughter he will give in marriage. It's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Doesn't call Rachel's name. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Wow, that is true love, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I'm seriously, I mean, it is. Just think of, a, think of how his heart must have been toward Rachel. Then Jacob said to Rachel, give me my wife. He didn't say, give me Rachel. Give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. <clears throat> so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, did we skip a, we skip some verses? No, 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 okay. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Now, three things are going on here that you've got to understand. One, it is dark. I'm not talking about city dark. It is seriously, it's out, it's desert dark. And she is veiled. Leah is veiled. And Quite a bit of wine has been consumed by this point. 
As Sean said when we were talking about this passage recently, how drunk did he have to be? I don't know. Uh, But probably there was a lot of that going on. You know, they make movies about those kind of things these days. And, and, And here's Jacob making a movie of his own back then. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. That's just funny to me. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Can you imagine Jacob? He lied to his blind father, his dying father, just a month before. A little over a month before. Excuse me, seven years. I'm sorry. Seven years and a month. Well, like he said, it seemed to him as a day, you know. Um, so glad that I caught that before you did. And, oh, you caught it, but I'm surprised somebody didn't say it. Like I shouted down Aubrey last week, you could have shouted me down. But, but just imagine what must have been going on. How could you deceive me like this? And, of course, you know, that's the way we are. We tend, we, we can catch, especially when somebody else has our tendency towards particular problems. Hey, hey, what are you doing to me? Well, what have you been doing all along? So he's angry. Why have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not done, it's so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, the wedding week. He will give you the other one also in return for serving me another seven years. So really, frankly, Jacob should have served four years tops for Rachel. And now he's serving 14 years and he's getting both. Now, Rachel was married to him the next week. It's not like he had to wait the, the seven years for Rachel. But he had to work seven years to pay it off, pay off his debt. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Billah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Now look, a little bit later when the law was given, 400 years is a little bit later, um, but when the law was given, it was men were forbidden to marry two sisters let me let me say this about polygamy there's never ever a good instance where you've got two wives and their best buds you know of the of the same man you just don't see that in scripture there's a reason that that god created uh, man and woman and he said you shall be one flesh and it's, it's 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 best to be in a monogamous relationship always and by the time jesus came along polygamy was just in the Western world, was not uh, a practice at all. Certainly not in the Jewish nation. Um, but just think about that day. Uh, when What happened when nations went to war? They wiped each other. Com- the winner would wipe out the loser. Well, certainly all of the men. And a lot of times the children. You know who would be left? Young women. That's who would be left. Those would be the only ones. So, it was merciful in a sense. I'm not saying it was merciful of God. I'm just saying that the people understood. If this woman is going to be taken care of, she needs to have a husband. And there are only so many husbands to go around. 
Because men went out to war and a bunch of them didn't come back, even if they were victorious. And the ones that did come back came back with women on their arms, you know. So polygamy had some very practical purposes in the day. And that's one of the reasons God made provision for it in the law. So you see that God is saying, you can't, just because you love one more than the other, you must, you can't treat them any way you want to. You have to treat your wives in this way and their children because there's so much at stake. So much at stake with um, um, inheritance and what would be passed down to whom. But in this case, it's just such a mess. And so no wonder God says, no way you're going to be allowed to marry sisters while both are alive. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served Laban for another seven years. But God saw what was going on. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. So many reasons it was important. It was far more than just a status symbol of having a child. Widows in that day without sons to take care of them were in dire straits. And so having male children was a big deal. And Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Isn't that pitiful? It's just so sad. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated. Now this hated, by the way, this hatred is not, it's not hatred in the way that we think of it. It's just that he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Maybe he didn't feel any love for Leah, but he loved her in the way that he treated her. And so because I am hated, because I am despised, he gave me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. I can't make you love me. It's another song. I mean, it's just the way it is, isn't it? We, you just can't. Sometimes you can't make people love you. And Leah desperately wanted it. But you know what? Even though she never received it, God was looking down on her, blessing her, loving her in spite of all of this. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And, and, and look at this. She conceived again and bore a son. This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and she ceased bearing. Now, she couldn't know this, but she was the mother of the kingly line of Judah and the priestly line of Levi. Look at the way God blessed her and put her in that line of Jesus. She wouldn't know it probably until eternity, but it was true. Now, chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. I can't imagine a woman speaking to her husband like that. And I can't imagine a man's response like this. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. Rachel, He said, am I in the place of God who has withheld you from you, the fruit of the womb? Not my problem, obviously, Rach. 
then she said, and it just goes from bad to worse, doesn't it? Look, honestly, what do we do? We, we laugh or we cry about this, right? I mean, this is a horrible, it's funny to us, like a, you know, a sitcom, almost like a train wreck. You can't turn away. But if you were in the middle of this, there's nothing funny about this at all. <clears throat> Here is my servant, Billa. Oh, my goodness. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf that even I may have children through her culturally. This child belonged to Rachel. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as, as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Now look, notice you saw the... Letters in bold a while ago. Because that's what it's saying that God did. These women are desperately seeking to find some sense of purpose and, and meaning in life. And they're seeking God's love. And they say all kinds of things. And it's kind of like, this proves it. Now I know such and such. Look, be careful about it. Be careful about saying, well, God has favored me, especially saying, God has favored me over you because look at how I'm blessed. It may, circumstances may be exactly opposite within a month or, or three. Or Don't read too much in what goes on in life into whether God loves you or not, whether God favors you or not. That's not where the truth is in the gospel. It's not in the circumstances. So don't go hanging on to things that are going to let you down. Hang on to the truth of what God says about you. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. Because her servant had a baby. But we'll do anything, won't we? So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah. So yeah, here you go, okay. I can play this game too. And gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. She strikes you as a real happy gal, doesn't she? So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to her mother Leah. To his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. You know why? Mandrakes were thought to induce fertility. This was Rachel going to the doctor saying, help me. Help me conceive. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Who took whose husband away? (laughs) Would you also take away my son's mandrakes? 
Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Look, you would have turned the TV off by now if your kids were watching this. You would have said, we're not watching this. It gets worse in Genesis, I'm telling you. Wait till we get to Judah and the line of Christ. When Jacob came home from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah. Make sense of that. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So he called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me. How many times are you going to think that? Because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her. And opened her womb. He loved her. In spite of all of this mess. He loved her. She conceived and bore a son. And said God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. Saying may the Lord add to me another son. Which is another. One of those titles. And again. I'm not meaning to be humorous. I'm just saying be careful what you ask for. Because it was in this next son that Rachel lost her life when she gave birth. After this point, Jacob wanted to go back to Canaan. I mean, he'd he'd had it. He'd been there 20 years total. Married both women. All these children are coming. And he says, Laban, pay me my wages. And the wages would come to him in sheep. Now, Jacob, over the years, in spite of all that Laban was doing to pad his own pockets and to take from Jacob, God was blessing Jacob. And Jacob's wealth was growing. Sean's going to cover that conflict more thoroughly next week. But we can say, at the very least, that when we look at this story, there were two determined men in this story. And two determined women as well. So you've got these incredibly strong wills, and I'm not even bringing in the servants because we don't know much about them other than they gave birth to some of the sons. Let let me ask you a hard question. When you think about these four primary characters, Laban, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel, do you see yourself in any of them? It's a good chance you may say, that's not that hard. No, I don't see myself in any of them. Well, you're not getting off that easy. Suppose we were to ask the people that are closest to you. Are any of these characteristics in this person proud, petty, jealous, vengeful, opportunistic, self-aggrandizing? What would others say if they had to tell the tale about you? And I don't mean that you're like that all the time. I doubt seriously these four were like this all the time. I mean, look, life went on. They 
they, they got along. They, they, they somehow coexisted. Shouldn't use that word. I don't like that. You know, I don't like that idea in the way that it's meant today. There's a difference between loving and accepting. God loves us as we are. He doesn't accept us as we are. People want to say God loves you just like you are. He does. He loves you just like you are. The rich young ruler went away and he loved him, but he doesn't accept us like we are. He didn't say to the rich young ruler, come back, don't worry about that requirement I put on you. I'll accept you just as you are. He let him go. So when I say I don't like the idea of coexist, the idea of coexist is that my religion is as good as your religion. Let's all just get along. But nobody does that. Nobody believes that, really. They just pretend to. And tolerance is just, the idea of tolerance in our society today is about as intolerant as you can possibly get toward anybody who doesn't toe a very, very thin, specific line. So, are you in, like any of these four, I mean, they got they, they made it work, and while they weren't, exposing their true selves all the times they had their moments and we have ours don't we but in the middle of this ugly drama God not only was building his kingdom he was building his servant Jacob he was changing Jacob and furthermore God saw Leah's heartache and Rachel's heartache and in spite of their spite for one another he blessed them and Responded to their needs. Jacob belonged to God and the Lord was changing him. Bringing him into maturity and making him into the man after whom God's covenant people would be named Israel. And all of that was happening in the raw place of Haran. And whether we think this way or not, whether we want to think this way or not, all of us who belong to Jesus are are really Jacob in this story. I mean, we see some of ourselves maybe in, in, in others, but we're Jacob. Thank God for the gospel. How much does God love you? Well, let's just finish our time this morning in, in Romans. And we'll start with some verses that... You've already heard this morning. Forrest read these verses to you earlier in Romans 5, verses 6 to 10. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Look, it's it's a rare thing. For somebody to die for this incredibly righteous person. but and, and if you come right down to it, even a good person, some would go so far to die. But that's not our state when Jesus died for us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, 
Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Now, Romans 5 lays sort of a foundation for what's going to occur over these next four chapters in Romans. And it, and it speaks to what we've been thinking about today, about living this life as redeemed saints, not redeemed sinners. We're saints now, but sometimes we just feel like we're still not where we want to be and And so it causes all this frustration. Romans 5 tells us, and we didn't look at these verses just now, but it tells us that Adam lives in all people. Jesus also lives in those who have trusted him for salvation. Adam lives in all of us. Romans 5 talks about the fact that we are all in Adam and Adam is in us. He's the federal head of all humanity. He was our representative. And when he fell in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, we fell as well. All of us. We're born sinners. We're born seeking our own way. I heard recently a speaker who was saying, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish. And, and then said, but don't read that verse out of context. Put verse 17 with it. And it's true. Verse 17 goes with 16. For God did not come, for Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And then I'm thinking, and, and next? And then that was it. And I was thinking, verse 18! Verse 18! He that believes on the name of the Son of God is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of the Father. See, we start off in that place of condemnation because Adam blew it. And he was our dad, and when when he messed up, we all messed up. Eve did it first. Adam watched. It's a sign. The sin is a sign to Adam. A word to the fathers. And so we're all in Adam. But for those who have trusted Jesus. He belongs in us as well. And now Jesus living in us. Enables us to conquer sin. In fact that's what Romans 6 says. Learn to say no to sin. You don't have to sin anymore. Christ lives in you. You have been given this incredible resource for overcoming sin. You're not a slave to sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. That's what Romans 6 tells us. Romans 7 is a different story. Since we're giving titles to everything today, we could call this the hold your horses chapter of the Bible. Or even the oh no chapter of the Bible. Because Jesus does live in those who have trusted him for salvation. They're not trusting in their good works because they know their good works are inadequate. They're trusting in Jesus. Romans 7 reminds us that Adam still lives in us as well. And we may have the most incredible desires to love, please, serve God. But Adam wants his own way. And he gets his own way. Lots of times. Adam is akin to the little child, you know? And he lives in us demanding our own way. And look, I've been talking about circumstances having such an effect on us. What about it when you just absolutely, you just are miserable with the sin in your life? 
How is it po- How can I be such a Jacob? How is it possible that God still loves me? I can't believe that God still loves me. Well, immediately after Romans 7 is Romans 8, 1. The chapter division shouldn't be there. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. After Romans 7, the man's blown it. Paul has blown it up one side and down the other, as we would say. And he's just miserable with himself. He despises himself. Come those words, there is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. God sees you. Believer. And he loves you anyway. He sees your mess. The Holy Spirit in Romans 8. Reminds us that we belong to to Jesus. And when we yield to him. The life of Christ is revealed in us. One day you're going to be perfect. And it's not going to be until the day you stand before Jesus. So depending on how much of a perfectionist you are, it's, you're never going to get past this misery in life until you learn to accept that God loves you in spite of yourself. And he loves you not because you were great this day. He loves you because of Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus And he is pleased. (laughs) In spite of what you just did. When he looks at you. Are there consequences? Yes. Does that change his love? No. I I wonder. I started off saying the one. the, 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 The great disappointment for us is when we stand in front of the mirror. You know. And some spend more time than others. Some, frankly, should spend more time. No, I'm just kidding. I wonder if we will even look at a mirror in eternity. That's a, I never thought about that until this week. I wonder if we'll even look. Because we're not going to be thinking about ourselves. Our focus is going to be on Jesus and others. It's going to be life somewhat similar to what we know now. So maybe we will. You know, I don't know. But it won't be with the same kind of angst that we have now. Whether it's about our appearance or about our failures or whatever. When we look in the mirror, you know who we're going to see? Jesus. Living in us. Just before we gather at the Lord's table. Let's read these last verses of Romans 8. Verses that are likely familiar to you. But verses that you also very likely tend to forget When you fail. So let the truth of the word. Wash over you as I read. If you want to read along. Not out loud. Just just, just read on the screen. Or just close your eyes. And let these words wash over you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not. Spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. And he is at the right hand of God. 
indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. And now let's hear this benediction from Ephesians 2. And remember the truth of this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. Remember to walk in them this week. Remember to walk in the truth that it is God's work in us through Christ. Amen.